Stock, Collaborate and Listen brings you SME operation experts who live and breathe supply chain. In these trying times, collaboration is king if we are to survive and thrive. Tune in to your peers as we aim to unearth and share pearls of wisdom that have been forged from long careers and the latest struggles. So according to the latest MS uh, Family Matters report, climate change concerns continues to grow amongst UK families, with 64% of 5,000 respondents naming it as their top concern. And net zero, despite the challenge, presents one of the single biggest opportunities for the manufacturing sector, as the industry is in a unique position to help the whole of the UK achieve its net zero ambitions. As, Long jo- as, as Lord John Hutton, ex-business secretary, said at Manufacturing Expo 22, everyone must now commit to a new national ambition. The manufacturing industry is the UK's third most admitting sector and responsible for a sixth of the country's total emissions. And while a decarbonised power supply at a reasonable cost is clearly key, businesses are being advised to have their own net zero roadmap in place by early 23. And clearly manufacturers are stepping up to the plate and are now ready for the challenge, arguably. (laughs) Or are they? (laughs) We will find out in the next half hour. Um, So just an easy one to kick us all off. Um, Those sentiments from the the MS Family Matters report, does that already affect you? Do do you see um, consumer choice um, thumping for one product over another that maybe has a lower carbon footprint? Thomas. Shall I start with you? Yes, yes. Um, so I think in terms of, you know, sort of net zero um, and, you know, the whole sustainability angle, it, it's ultimately priority for brands in this day and age. And I think if, if, if uh, you know, sustainability um, and, and, you know, the initiative around, uh, you know, aiming to become, you know, uh, net zero, you know, whether it's through whatever means necessary, isn't a core part of your, values and your purpose then ultimately you're going to be losing a lot of potential uh, customers and i think as you said you know in the reports there are lots of reports out there which just show the increase in importance that consumers are putting on sustainability and i think um you know ultimately there are many ways of achieving that you know we've we've recently achieved a carbon neutral status you know, but that's ultimately offsetting, you know, our, our, our carbon footprint throughout the business. But we've taken further steps towards, you know, becoming net zero and actually having a positive impact and aligning the messaging of sustainability with our brand. And an example of this is um, we recently launched in uh, March this year, a uh, recycling returns initiative. And where we ship directly to our consumers and we have a large uh, 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 customer base of active subscribers, so who are purchasing our product on subscription on, on a bi-weekly and monthly basis. We agreed with our courier um, to set up a process where upon delivery of the, their new box, they can return their previous box with all of the bottles inside as well as the insulation. And again, one thing that I didn't touch on before was that we're a chilled product, so we have an additional barrier with everything that comes with distribution and logistics so that end uh, you know that 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 distribution to the customer you know that that last mile experience 
and process has to be in insulation. So it has to be chilled. So we achieve that by uh, using a uh, insulated uh, liner, which is made out of recycled denim and then an ice pack. Uh, and then obviously the box. And so that's delivered with every single customer order. And so with this initiative, we've seen a phenomenal uplift in engagement within uh, returning the packaging as well as the bottles. And so what we are now in a process of doing, we've had you know, a significant amount of packaging returned and obviously a significant amount of used bottles uh, returned. We're now working uh, with a few companies to establish a way of sterilizing and then deep cleaning the bottles to then put them back into our supply chain. And from a, you know, creating that sort of cycle, uh, that loop mechanism in terms of packaging, we're seeing is, you know, the response from our customers is fantastic because, you know, they, they can see we are purpose-driven, we're making, we're taking positive actions towards sustainability and they're buying into what we're doing. And so from a, you know, my point here is that sustainability, it's not, it, it, it doesn't just have to be, a you know about sustainability and about the environment it can also positively impact the margin and your costs of a business if you're doing it correctly because that bottle and those packaging and that liner and that ice pack is now coming back into circulation so the savings on that are also you know a really positive aspect too so i think 100% it has to be a part of every business's core but it's about establishing the best ways that you can achieve that it's interesting because a lot of people would pay lip service to, in fact, we talked about it in the last roundtable, um, circular supply chain, and you've got an, an actual real example that you're saying is, you know, it's not just lip service, it's actually hitting the bottom line, or it, it is having a positive effect on margins, which is really good to hear for the, for the community as a whole. Doug, I know that you, you've got biodegradable tea bags and that kind of thing. Do you want to pick up? Yeah, we've got some interesting uh, things that we'll be doing over the last six months. Um, we sell tea to hotels, restaurants, coffee shops, tea shops, and um, we we had a shelf life of um, the way we packaged it and vacuumed the product, a shelf life of 10 years, right? Now, who needs uh, that sort of shelf life? So we revised our packaging, uh, completely changed. We're not fully changed yet, but we have reduced our, uh, improved our packaging, but reduced the shelf life from 10 years to between two and four years. And the question came up, has the customers really noticed? Did they care? They care about the packaging, but they don't look at the shelf life, right? Um, and that's been some element of surprise because we consider one of our USPs to be the extended shelf life of our products, but that is not the case. Um, the more emphasis on um, plastic and the use of plastic and, and how much, the extent to which we use it in our delivery of, of and supporting our products. But the other thing we've offered is, and we don't pack in bottles, but we do pack in plastic bags, um, which are special bags made for the purpose. And we offer our customers the opportunity to return those. We supply them a label, we supply them packaging to actually send those packaging back to us. We don't reuse it, but we make sure it's recycled uh, properly through the proper channels. So um, 
we just see improvements and our customer base is, we've seen a growth in that because of the, the attitude and uh, the way and the manner that we, we're now packaging our products. Everything is, all our, all our packaging now is either um, recyclable or uh, disposable or um, compostable. So that's where we are and, and it's, we've seen a difference. That's positive too. Brilliant. Nick? It's, it's interesting. Um, I, I guess for me, the journey began, goodness me, 15 years ago, 17 years ago. And it was, I always remember working with Beefeater and we had 16 tonnes of botanical waste per week. And the first thing was, okay, what do we do with it? Because we used to feed it to cattle, pigs. Uh, but it wasn't, uh, it was no longer FEMAS 100 compliant, so we couldn't sell it into the food chain. So we managed to get it composted and we used that as a potential selling point that I could give you the GPS coordinates of where our botanicals have been spread and which fields they're on. And so that always, and by the way, one of the big things was that had to cost less than what we were doing. So zero to landfill, no additional cost. And so we got several benefits. First of all, I went down and saw the farmer and he gave me some lovely bacon, uh, which is really nice, uh, <laughs> which was great. Um, but yeah, so that went out. And so I always took that forward into whatever I'm trying to do. So that went into, uh, I guess, Laberstoke Mill, which was a very outstanding building. So how do you do that? Um, how do you look at the use, utilization of a biomass boiler? And then in Southwest, uh, with a smaller company, how do you design your supply chain so that actually you can get not only environmental sustainability, but also margin benefits as well? And this is where I'm kind of looking at now in circular supply chains. So Thomas, I'm looking at how we get our wax back on from the top of the bottles, how do we bring that back into the business in a cost-effective way? And I always hark back to the R White's lemonade bottles or the milk bottles and all those things. And I'm sure we saw all the WhatsApp videos going, this is 30 years ago, what are we doing now? And, and, and I, I keep looking at, okay, how do we start to become inventive with what we do with our packaging so that we can actually not only look at the next six months, year, and I, I'm sure I said this six months, year, two years, but how do we take cost out of the business by environmental sustainability and being ahead of the game? That's, that's the real importance to me. How do you stay ahead of the game, ahead of the curve for what the consumer really wants? So I hope that kind of gives an an insight a, in where we are. I've had a really bad idea about the wax on top of your bottles. Yeah. Given that everyone's a little bit tipsy when they're consuming yeah. your product, yeah. I would take that wax off and create something with it, and you could do okay. like a competition for best creature. <laughs> and you get a free bottle of gin, and you have to send, you know, you could send okay. that little box that they put the design in, and you post it off all pre-labeled back to you. Sure. You okay. do a quarterly best design competition. Yeah, I've just gone off on one. I love the okay. wax on top of your bottles, though. Don't sure. want to do that. Okay, I am yeah. going to say drink better, not more, though, and that's okay. why you drink with us. <laughs> well done. We'll, we'll make sure so, we keep so, that. So in. tipsy, not quite sure about. Okay, uh, <laughs> uh, relaxed and enjoying the moment. I would go with. <laughs> um, um, yeah. Go on. I've got. No, so no, that's I've that's got one so of the things that we have thought and... about, by the way, about how do we get the wax back. That is one of the things that we've looked at. <laughs> you have, you've already looked at it. We have, yes. Brilliant, good, good, excellent. Um, Sam, um, what was yeah, I, I, in terms of in terms of sustainability in supply chains, I think 
I think with the price of energy and, and input costs that are going into manufacturers and 3PLs and, and, and trucking and haulage companies, I think they're all scrambling to, to solve these problems mm. quickly because if from their perspective, <clears throat> energy inputs are just a cost on their business that they have to pass on. So this, is, this is scope three. So let's be clear, right, in net zero, that you're with downstream and upstream of you is scope three. Yeah. Um, and be, okay, so yeah, carry on. Sure. So I think with the with the crazy impress prices we've seen like of energy cost in, inputs i i was on tour last week or this week actually with a lot of 3pls across the country and it's amazing what they're doing you know like i, I went into a 3pl and they're the deep freeze warehouses of you know 60 70 80,000 feet all running on solar power now almost 90% and they're just like it's the dream i can stick these things on the top i've, I've brought my carbon emissions my footprint down incredibly i don't have to pass all this energy crazy energy increase onto customers um work, looking at other three pls who are looking at um being the first carbon neutral three pls in in the whole country and they're aiming to do that by 2025 and this is all being spurred on by um cost increases that they don't want to have to pass on because they they can see that you know like if if this flows through the chain that it will you know destabilize everyone but if they can if they can find a way through and be the first people to to solve these problems it will absolutely benefit both themselves from a commercial yeah. point of view and, and all their customers advantage. as well. Um, yeah. So there's, there's a lot of work being done behind the scenes on, in that in that vertical through through manufacturing and 3PLs. Um, but I, from a brand perspective, um, I would just say sustainability isn't a trend. Like if you think it is, it's you're not you're wrong. Um, it's absolutely the thing, and you need to pay really close attention to this because every consumer out there is concerned about this, and if they're not those consumers won't be around for very long. Um, so what I would say is, you know, really, really hone in on that piece. Have a think about curbside recycling, have a think about returns. I know a lot of D2C companies who are looking at, again, packaging returns because it's lowering margins, getting um, consumer buy-in, just like Thomas said. Um, and all these things really do matter and I've seen it work and it, it does work. So really, really do think about all of those pieces of the puzzle of, of, of your brand and, and your packaging and all, all the input costs because it, it will make a difference. So we talked about brand and packaging. I think we've all talked a bit about brand and packaging. Um, and I've got down here that, you know, 50% of manufacturers do see it as an opportunity, um, net zero, let's say. Um, so um, I've got down here, does net zero present an opportunity to rethink the product? So I was in my research, Nick, I was looking, I was looking, um, went down a rabbit hole actually and ended up stumbling on uh, foxhole spirits which, which you would have heard of who they take they take but botanicals lemons that have already been used and stuff and build them into their into their product and obviously I, I just would love to understand I mean I, I can't imagine that being a scalable thing but I'd love to get your thoughts on it so the question is you know I suppose it's down, it's, it's down, it's upstream. I always get confused which one. <laughs> it's, um, it's, it's upstream from, you know, things are coming in. Is net zero an opportunity to rethink the ingredients or what's going into the product? A bit like we talked about, um, you talked about, you know, reducing complexity in the packaging. Do we reduce complexity in the product itself? Question. Okay. So regarding Foxhole, um, absolutely seen that before. So, but I think there's a, a different way of looking at it. So who can you partner with? That can, so, okay, let's take lemon peels or orange peels or whatever you want, and that, that as an example. So I like the fact that, okay, 
I only want the peel. I don't want the fruit. Who can you partner with that you can go into a joint venture? I'll take the peels, you take that. So that's perhaps another way of looking at it. So therefore you both get benefit, okay? Your waste uh, and how you remove it from the business is decreased, but you also uh, cost of the, uh, the actual ingredient that you're using should go down because there's a, there's a second uh, value stream to it. So that's one thing that I think is really useful to look at. Um, just looking at personalization, I've used botanicals that they've been wasted. So I put in place that um, with one distillery, once the botanicals have been used, that went back in the biomass boiler. So how do I get thermal energy out of the waste botanicals? So that was another thing looking at. Um, how would I use those for, um, you know, instead of salt baking, I've used botanicals to kind of um, botanical bake fish. What's the secondary use that you can use it? How can you repurpose it is another thing. My waste packaging that I- Oh, that out. sounds amazing. Like botanical smoked fish. Oh my God. Oh, yeah, absolutely. <laughs> absolutely. But then you can build it in. I'm kind of going off piece here a bit, but then you can build it into your tastings. Then you can build it into your brand. That you know what? This is another way that you can use this or enjoy this or, or how you yeah. can do it. So I always, yeah, I always talk about how I could use, let's say, pasties with cooking. So doing a moulinier or something. Um, but going back onto the topic, um, yeah, taking cost or out of the business or using. Uh, a pre-used item again. So I've now negotiated into all of our boxes or cases that go out, we bring them back on site and then send them back to our uh, e-fulfillment center and they use them to go out a second time. So that gives additional revenue. Not only does it take cost for my packaging waste, uh, it also means I haven't got to pay them the first time. So that 67 pence case has now gone down to let's say 30% or 30 pence. So I've halved the actual cost because it's had a double use. So that's really important to us. How do you bring them back in the supply chain? How do you then reuse them? Mm -hmm. Sticking with uh, product then, like you've all got things coming in from far, far away, I suppose. And there may be no answer to this question yet. Um, so Thomas, is, is, there, is it, do you, I mean, it is, I, I get quite excited by this, you know, that you're being asked the impossible question is, you know, what, what do I do? Is it an opportunity to rethink the product, uh, net zero? Yeah, I think, um, you know, from, from a first use perspective, you know, rethinking the product, I think uh, every uh, individual product and every product vertical is going to be different. In our situation and in our case, you know, our, a USP of what we do is around, you know, high quality raw ingredients. Um, so I don't know how we can, you know, change that uh, in a way where we can, you know, offset or use, you know, um, byproduct or used product or, you know, sort of uh, um, discarded uh, raw material, which a lot of, you know, standard sort of juice companies will do, but it's a different processing method and the end product of the final use the purpose is very different for the consumer um you know our our consumers are purchasing our product for its functional nutritional benefits and so us delivering the product in the highest quality state in an uncompromised format is essential mm. however from a secondary use perspective as nick said there are multiple areas for which we have looked into um, we haven't um executed on any because it's an additional resource and it's going to require an additional investment. But as we scale, we will have the opportunity to begin to, you know, uh, test and trial 
using our byproduct for different types of products. And an example, you know, so we put whole raw uh, turmeric root, whole raw ginger root, whole raw watermelons, which are fleshed on site. We're currently processing around, you know, five ton watermelon a week. Uh, we then use, you know, raw pomegranate seeds, raw pineapple whole, including the core. So the, the yield of our manufacturing process is very good. Uh, you know, we'll, we'll achieve, you know, sort of a 70 to 80 percent yield. But that's mm. through the uniqueness of our, uh, you know, extraction process to, to deliver the finished product. But that 20 percent of byproduct is ultimately high quality raw material. So we have tested things such as snack bars. We have tested things such as pastes and a very interesting area which we're looking forward to, you know, diving into once we have more resources within the business is actually uh, repurposing that for pet food. Um, and again, obviously, raw turmeric root um, and turmeric because of its active compounds is a uh, growing uh, market in terms of, you know, pet supplements. So okay. we've okay. tested some areas and how we can utilize that and put it into a, you know, into a product format, which would then be extremely appealing because, again, it's come from raw material for, uh, you know, uh, pet owners uh, and the pet market. So I think that secondary use for, for us as, you know, sort of where we sit in terms of manufacturing, that's the, that's the opportunity because then, again, we'll be able to tell the story and explain the journey and also give this journey into another product. And from there, you know, there, there's, there's just massive, masses of opportunity. So, you know, not only in terms of reducing cost, you know, driving towards net zero, but also actually, you know, creating a commercial model, which is actually beneficial to, to the market. The, um, it's interesting. I, again, went down another rabbit hole this week and I was looking at, forget the name of it, and Nick will probably know the name of it, but it's a, fem, it's a cold fermentation of pineapple. It's a Mexican drink. Do you know the name, Nick? No, okay. I'll find, anyway, it got me thinking about Marmite. Um, I'm showing my age now, but you know, Marmite is a byproduct of the beer industry. Um, and you know, the fact that, you know, <laughs> I just, it just, you know, this kind of external pressure on manufacturing businesses, you know, could end up producing, you know, the fact that you've got pineapple in your processes, Thomas, you know, you may not want to put the turmeric company name to an, an alcohol, but you know, the fact that you can take pineapple and throw some yeast in there and, and create this, I forget the name of it, but it's a, it's a cold um, fermenting process. It's a Mexican, it's kind of probably like more like um, kombucha or something like that. Do you know what I mean? Um, I'll find it, I'll send it to you. Um, so it's, yeah, it's kind of like Marmite all over this, isn't it? It's like if, it, if a biomass or a byproduct or another product, uh, Doug, yes. rethinking the product, obviously you're, you're or, or ultimately, are you looking to your supplier to be carbon neutral um, as they're delivering the, the tea leaves to you? I mean, what do you, are, you, are you sort of having those conversations? When we went through supplier selection, then that was, that was quite a key element. And what we've found is that a number of the suppliers are now currently carbon neutral. That they're using um, uh, photoelectric, uh, PEV, uh, electricity generation, uh, in a significant way 
that makes them actually carbon neutral. So that, that was a big point in terms of retaining our supplier and growing our business with that with those particular suppliers who are in this market. Um, the ones that, 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 that care about the product and how it is used and uh, they have an initiative to become net zero or they are net zero already. So that, that was a significant thing. Um, just a, a bit of light relief, right, amongst all of this. Brilliant. I've just acquired an electric car, right? <laughs> I've been in that electric car. <laughs> and it's blown me away, right? It performs just like a diesel car I had before. And, you know, but this might be something to do with my nationality, right? I can go down to the local uh, supermarket, plug in and top up, and it's free. <laughs> what do I do with that? Get <laughs> it and and uh, and say, well, we're on we're on our path to net net zero here. We're trying to reduce uh, emissions and all that sort of thing. So, um, my ventures in electric car is making a contribution. <laughs> and it feels to me my cottage nature. <laughs> um, you're not the only one. My brother-in-law takes his electrical car to the supermarket, plugs it in, and goes for a run. Okay, and then comes back from his run, to picks his car up and drives home. So he's charged his car, gone for a run at the same time. He loves it. Win-win. Yeah. Well, I, I, I would never have believed it, but I'm totally sold on the whole thing. <laughs> I still have some anxiety about doing a long journey, but uh, hey, I'm saving that much on my car and my fuel then, wow. No. I was I was reading about um, that. Obviously, the big sticking point in all of this is um, is uh, air travel, and you know. <laughs> then I, st I went off in my head, going, "Oh, I don't like the idea of being an electronic airplane. I do not like that idea at all." Um, but yeah. But I think there's there's other opportunities. I mean, uh, you were talking about Marmite. I mean, I worked with Unilever uh, and made uh, brain, heart, infusion, or, or microbiological media from the waste. Uh, ingredients and yeast and stuff like that uh, and, and one of the things that we do with waste is we do anaerobic digestion so all of our waste goes off-site anaerobic digestion methane power generation so it's that's kind of clean energy um well to an extent anyway um then one of the other aspects that you know i really think about is that how can you use it so you're talking about aviation fuel why not just ferment it take the alcohol out of it and you've got bioethanol it's as simple as that. There's the, I just think we need to become more inventive. Shanks yeah. McEwen, this is uh, one of the waste sites up in Bedford. Now, I remember this was going back to, gosh, it would have been 1992. They, in their landfill sites, they used to put um, gas pipes in, take all the gas in, and they used to run uh, generators on it, running at 90% of uh, methane from the actual anaerobic digestion of the waste tips and 10% diesel. I just think we need to think about borrow. One of the things I, I love is borrow with pride. Look at other industries. What would they do? How can we do it? How can we use the technique from them? Take it on site, modify it, make it ours, but make it more effective and more efficient. I, I, it's one of the big things that I really enjoy. Talking, discussing, sharing ideas. Borrow with pride. What can we do from other industries? Take techniques or methodologies, provide them with a fuel source or, or, or take their waste and use it in our product. That, we need that I think... What we need, Nick, is um, some of your gin, as lot, reconvene re somewhere and 
Um, what we need to work out is how we make, create hydrogen from what we have, because that's where the, that's where the money is. <laughs> okay, 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 yeah, very possibly. <laughs> I'm gonna, quick, one, one or two more questions, we all have to go. Sam, um, when is a good time to leverage all of this as a marketing advantage? Like, at what point can you legitimately go out to the market and say, look at us, we're green, we're net zero, you know all that kind of yeah. stuff it's a really good question because you have to be very careful you're not going to greenwash what it is that you do and you know down the track someone pulls the hood off and suddenly you know like you're, you're suddenly a bad person on twitter and that's nowhere that you want to be um i think net zero is really really throwing up new opportunities for new products and i think that there's there the next wave of new products will be really honed in on this thing i mean i've i've been working with a few insect protein companies at the moment who are starting to build insect protein into pet food, human food and, and cattle feed as well. And there's, there's all kinds of things going on here that aren't actually in the marketplace yet, but they're, re they're really on their way and they're coming. And um, there will be a paradigm shift across, you know, the Western world at least into new ways of consuming, um, consuming products um, and, and new ways of getting nutrients and, and energy into humans really. Um, when should you go to the market? as fast as possible is my answer. Build a product, test it really fast, throw it out there, see if it works, you know, fail fast. It's kind of like a bit of a Silicon Valley um, chat, but it does work because, you know, like you, you can spend three years in a lab working on something or you can do it fast, get it out there, iterate, go again. Um, there's there's no harm in getting out there one time and, and, and failing and, and going again because that's how you learn. Um, so I would always be um, really encouraging to, to new startups and new businesses who want to push the envelope of what they're trying to do. Um, you may not get it right the first time, but you will learn a hell of a lot doing it. Um, so, so definitely, um, if you've got an idea and you, you think there's a way forward, um, definitely do it. Um, but just be cognizant of if, 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 if you promise something on the tin, just make sure you deliver behind that because there's no point trying to hide, hide your way behind statistics or, or greenwash it because in the end you'll get found out. So yeah, do it right from the beginning, but do it fast. Mm -hmm. Um, I want to ask, um, in preparation for this, I got talking to a guy called Matthew Isaacs, who has just set, or hasn't in the last two or three years, has set up something called My Emissions. Are you guys aware of this product app? Um, I just want to get your thoughts on it. So it's carbon labeling. I think there's probably other competitors in his space, but the idea of <clears throat> your product having um, you know, it's a bit like fridges, you know, you get you used to get ABCD on fridges. It's it's a similar kind of labeling system for food. Is that something you guys are considering? Have looked at? Uh, Thomas? No, uh, we we're not aware of that. But I think, uh, again, you know, as, uh, as the guys are saying, I think it, it's the direction that all brands have to, to, to be going. And I think there's there's hopefully going to be continued innovation, continued opportunities within within this space. And um, I couldn't agree more in terms of, you know, acting fast, implementing, you know, but making sure that it's part of the core and it's done correctly. When it is, then that's the time to, you know, distribute the message and, and, and actually taking everyone with you on that journey you know including your customers is has real value you know showing the you know the, the wins the losses the challenges 
And I think that's, again, something which uh, a lot of manufacturing companies, because they're so focused in terms of the deliverance of the product, you know, you, you almost you know, miss the opportunity to actually share that journey and everyone's facing significant challenges. You know, it, currently in this climate, you know, it's, it's uh, you know, something obviously, you know, from my perspective, you know, being in my early 30s, I've, I've never seen before. Uh, but it's actually, you know, we're all working hard to get through it. We're all trying to make positive steps and we're continually, you know, uh, uh, making, you know, uh, uh, impactful actions, which ultimately, if continued over time, will, will really make, make a positive change. Doug, going to put little stickers on you talking about carbon footprint in a position wanting to do that yet? He's got to not, shake. Not right, not right now, no. We have no plans to do that right now, but we recognise there's a need there and an awareness thing. Um, so we're thinking about it ongoing. Nick? Um, we won't put the stickers on, but I think what we will be doing, and this is one of the things that we do quite often, we get brand ambassadors and posts, we do make sure that the environmental uh, kind of aspects of the business are forefront in what we say. But you're right. Say what you do. Do what you say. Um, don't overgloss it. Um, and sometimes underplay it. Well, of course, we do that. It's natural to us. Mm. Um, you know, why wouldn't we? Uh, it is the kind of attitude we take. Yeah. Rather than than, than putting it, you know, absolutely massive in everyone's face. It's of course we do. But it's you now the time, isn't it, to be a bit more brazen, to be a bit less British. You know, think about this. You know, like that's what people want to see when they're buying a product. Absolutely, um, in some aspects, but in other aspects, no. Um, okay, I always say, okay, with a bottle of gin, you buy the first bottle because it looks pretty, the second bottle because it tastes good, and the third one because of the supply chain. So you've got to nail all three of those. So if you really change massively the brand image and the, the, the first view, if the customers aren't at that point in their purchasing cycle, you, you, you don't, work uh, so you, you have see, to make sure do you, do you see a future where those three are turned on its head perhaps perhaps absolutely i think the third one becomes more important but that's the message you, you well the message we put out subtly okay okay um i what have i got no, I've got two minutes. I don't even want to ask any more questions. Free, free fall. Is there anything else you two want to gain from each other before we go? And I feel like I've, I have run the show, but you're, this is a nice forum where we can pick up things. We, I promised I'd come back to something, didn't I? Doug, you mentioned something that you wanted to get people's thoughts on. Um, well, yes, no, I think just, just coming up uh, about stickers and things like that, um, we find customers come back when they taste the quality of the product, when they realize they've got value in the product rather than fancy color stickers, right? Um, so we don't do that because it can have a negative impact as well as um, a positive one. Yes, it might get attention, um, but uh, people, customers come back on the basis of a quality product rather than the advertising or the marketing or whatever. I don't know any other comments on that would be appreciated. I, I just wonder if, if it's a demographic thing as well. Like if, if, if I, I, Thomas, are you seeing, I would imagine, and I'm guessing at this, 
that gin and tea have a slightly older demographic than your product, which is turmeric, which is all about repairing the body more quickly, anti-inflammatory, so people can go and train harder, faster. Do you, do you see a different story from your side? Do you think your audience, your audience would, it sounds like they would clearly like to love, love, know more about, you know, um, the stuff that you're doing in the sustainability space? Yeah, I think with social, clearly there's, you know, more of a, um, a, a need for awareness and, you know, sort of taking the veil off of brands from the younger demographic. Um, but in terms of sort of purchasing demographic, we have, you know, the majority of our subscribers are sort of 35, 45 plus okay. male and female. So I think, um, yeah, it, it's ultimately finding that core value in the brand. And then, you know, that that ultimately will, you know, direct you to the, to the consumer. This podcast is produced by Unleash Software. We're part of the Access Group and provide transformative inventory management cloud software to thousands of businesses worldwide.